Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Now, with the release of the UN Scientific Panel's report, climate change is looking less like an inconvenient truth and more like an inescapable crisis. And to this point, listener Trevor from British Columbia wrote in and imagined the future of our planet. And buckle your seatbelt because it is not pretty. So Trevor reports, I saw the great forests I grew up around all burned. I saw superstorms and heat stroke deaths claiming hundreds of thousands every year. I saw food shortages turning people violent and mass migrations whipping up xenophobic fervor and fascist autocracies. All I can see is destruction on the scale of what happened to the indigenous communities in North America after 1492. How, he concluded, can I not despair? Well, after I peeled myself off the floor, I looked into the research. And then I peeled myself off the floor again because the very first study I found in the uber-prestigious journal Nature, no less, linked increased global temperatures to suicide. So as you might guess, my floor and I have been through a lot this week. And it is especially tricky because climate change is a perfect storm, no pun intended, because it hits human nature square in the gut. When faced with dire threats, we humans tend to react in one of three ways. In the first option, we deny. When prospects seem dire and hopeless, some of us cope by sticking our heads in the sand. We protect ourselves from going numb and hopeless by whistling through the superstorm. The second option, we despair. It's hard to find hope or feel personally effective when the speed and scale of the crisis seems so overwhelming. Indeed, who can truly comprehend the disappearance of coastal cities and not feel helpless and insignificant? Thankfully, human nature allows us a third option. We double down. With denial or despair, our flame is snuffed out. But sometimes, tough situations act as an imperative. Instead of burning out, our flame burns brighter. Now, I will not pretend to solve climate change in 15 minutes or less. But this week, let's talk about seven ways to deal with your climate change despair. So let's get started with tip number one, which is, it's okay to feel horrible. It is absolutely understandable to feel whipsawed and powerless, but there's a bright side. Feeling awful is actually a necessary precursor to action. As Melinda Gates, whose foundation with Bill Gates works in some of the poorest places on earth, says, let your heart break. To paraphrase, when you see suffering and injustice now or in the future, it's hard to resist turning away. But feeling awful gets the wheels turning, she says. Shared pain builds empathy, which in turn sparks compassion, action, and eventually change. Tip number two is remember that worry isn't an action. It's okay to feel bad, But let's also talk about a phenomenon called metacognition, our thoughts about our thoughts. If you're freaked out about climate change, put your brain under audit. Because often, there's a mistaken belief that worry or anxiety equals awareness, involvement, or being ecologically woke. In other words, there's a misguided idea that if you're not freaking out, you don't really care. But this is faulty thinking. Consider this. 
Does worrying about your grade help you pass your exam? Or does studying, in other words, taking action, help you pass your exam? Same principle applies to mitigating climate change. Freaking out is neither an action nor a virtue. Which brings us to tip number three. Don't give up on small steps, but don't rely on them either. Now, it may feel like your efforts to remember your reusable grocery bags and give up eating beef are too little too late. That no matter what you do, you're only one in eight billion. When you look at pictures of the California wildfires, recycling that yogurt cup seems laughable. But don't give up on small steps. It is true that climate change can't be stopped just by foregoing bananas shipped from Guatemala. But just as climate change was caused bit by bit, it can be mitigated bit by bit. So insert your favorite metaphor here about the longest journey starting with a single step or Rome not being built in a day or rivers wearing through rock, because whatever you choose, it applies. Now, let's take it to the next level. While small steps are important, they are not sufficient. Individual behavior change is helpful, but bigger structural changes pack way more of a punch. Think about it this way. If you're trying to save money, skipping the Starbucks and making coffee at home will absolutely help. However, it's way more effective to change the system. Pay off your credit card debt so you don't waste your money on interest. Auto-transfer part of your paycheck into a savings account. Or sign up for your company's retirement match. You get the idea. Therefore, with climate change, don't give up on the yogurt cups, but turbocharge your individual changes by leaning on the system. How? Vote. Call your representatives. Push leaders to make structural changes from local bike lanes to international emissions reductions goals. Tip number four, keep a lid on the zealotry. Now, many of us who despair at climate change might focus obsessively on an individual behavior change in order to feel efficacious. But yelling at your coworkers to use less paper, bullying your friends into going vegan, or telling your kids they're killing sea turtles whenever they throw out a Ziploc bag isn't helpful to anyone, including your blood pressure. In addition, it's counterproductive because it eats up all your energy, leaving little for leaning on systems like in tip number three. Okay, now tip number five. Focus on what we'll gain. So a study out of Cardiff University in Wales found that with some exceptions, framing climate change messages as a gain as opposed to a loss made people feel more positively about climate change mitigation. So for example, rather than a loss-framed message of urgent, donate now or we lose the polar bears, a gain-framed message of take action, together we can save the polar bears, was more effective. Furthermore, gain-framed messaging made people perceive the climate crisis to be more severe, a counterintuitive finding. So, why do gain-framed messages work? Perhaps because people can hear them with less fear and more hope. Therefore, when you talk about climate change, whether to others or as a pep talk to yourself, think of it as mobilization. It's tempting to resort to scare tactics and easy to degenerate into nihilism, but to be effective, hope, community, and gains are the way to go. Okay, speaking of community, here is tip number six, which is get to know your neighbors. Now, we usually think of disaster preparedness as stocking up on batteries and water, but a more effective strategy 
may be to build strong connections with your neighbors. Why? Well, aside from all sorts of physical and mental health benefits conferred by a sense of community and belonging, in a natural disaster, true first responders aren't necessarily official agencies, but your neighbors. For example, a study published in the journal Social Science and Medicine examined how communities in the Tohoku region of Japan dealt with the March 2011 earthquake, tsunami, and subsequent meltdown at the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Researchers found that in communities plagued by low trust and high crime before the crisis, more people died than in neighborhoods with high social cohesion. Essentially, communities with closer ties and higher trust knew ahead of time who was sick, elderly, or otherwise needed a hand and were able to act quickly in a time of crisis. Likewise, for residents of Futaba, a town in Fukushima where everyone was evacuated due to radioactive contamination, better mental health after the disaster hung together with high levels of social capital, which was measured by participation in volunteer work and social events after displacement. And finally, tip number seven. Remember, humanity is scrappy. We started the episode with the human tendencies to deny, despair, or double down in times of crisis. So now let's take another look at human nature. The bad news is that humans are wired to pay attention to the present, not the future. So for all the pleas to think about our children and our grandchildren, climate change probably won't get our full attention until it's in our face. Think how hard it is just to get people to save for retirement, much less save the planet. But once a problem is immediate, humanity pays attention. And fortunately or unfortunately, as climate change affects more individuals directly, voices become louder and the call for change becomes more insistent. Finally, a last bit about human nature. Let's take Hurricane Katrina, one of the first storms that started whispers about the role of climate change. Studies have shown that the storm took a huge toll on mental health, and that even years later, people still struggle with post-traumatic stress, anxiety, and depression. But other studies have found in the survivors remarkable resilience and even something called post-traumatic growth, where the vast majority of respondents indicated that their experiences with Katrina helped them develop a deeper sense of meaning and purpose, led them to realize the extent of their inner strength, and stoked a strong faith in their ability to rebuild their lives. To wrap it up, it is human nature to despair in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds. But you don't have to suffer, toil, or peel yourself off the floor in isolation. When people join together, before, during, and after crisis, despair turns into action. Thank you so much for making Savvy Psychologist a part of your life. Here at Savvy Psychologist, we are always looking for ways to make your life better. So please help shape the future of Savvy Psychologist. Do you want to hear more interviews and guests? Or do you prefer the monologue format? Do you like a wide variety of tips? Or would you rather hear a deep dive into one or two? Let me know at bit.ly slash Savvy Psych Feedback. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Savvy Psych Feedback bit.ly slash Savvy Psych Feedback. There is also a link in the episode description in whatever podcast app you are using right now. 
The survey is only four multiple choice questions and can be done in a matter of seconds. So thank you so much in advance for checking that out. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week, and I'll see you here next week for a happier, healthier mind.